Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio. Your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 18, Episode 16, powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. I'm Shane Malloy with Brad Allen from HockeyProspect.com. And you can listen to the show as well on your favorite podcast network or on YouTube and follow us at Twitter on Twitter at HP Radio and at HockeyProspectRadio.com. Uh, to start off, we're going to do our player development segment with Pat Malloy. Pat, thanks for coming on the show again. We do always appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. So in this segment, we're going to talk about one of your clients that you've had since he was the age of 13 and Jack Quinn. And I guess you had Jack Quinn before Jack Quinn became Jack Quinn. So <laughs> what I find really fascinating when you have a client of that age and you get to help him evolve into the player he's becoming and he's still only 21 so there's still a lot of evolution left in his game and potential like he can move to uh, multiple different levels talk a little bit about that process of you know taking on a client who's 13 who's a young teenager and just sort of adding different layers and adding different things year by year session by session as he progresses because you can only move as fast as he, what he can absorb and not only just absorb, but also then transfer in a practical application on the ice. Yeah. I mean, I, I came to know of Jack, you know, major P minor bantam age, I guess. And, you know, where I, I sort of discovered him and, you know, he'd show up at skating classes on a weeknight, you know, late 8 p.m. weeknight skating classes. And, and you could sort of see at that point he was very raw, um, but really had a thirst to improve. And so, yeah, that's that's how our journey started, was just really starting to, to try to create some fundamental structure in his, in his skating and the way that he moved. And um, what was always refreshing about him, you know, at, at that age was just show up, you know, and work. No ego just wanted to try to build his game. I think he was playing for the upper Canada, you know, upper Ottawa Valley aces at that time uh, in, in double a, and, you know, he'd show up and just work at his game, work at his game. And it's sort of, you know, over the years is, is kind of escalated to the point now where, you know, we see him and, you know, prior to being drafted, I'd include him in NHL skates and different things that I do. And, you know, just being able to have that background knowledge of them and, and sort of, you know, all of the things from a foundational standpoint that we've been able to lay together and, and, and now, you know, looking at where he is and, and the cool part is I don't think he's done getting better, which is, you know, maybe the even more exciting part is he's still a young guy and um, sort of that, consummate late bloomer if you will and that I, I i still think from a trajectory standpoint he's just he's still climbing and he's still getting better a fun fact pat when uh during his draft season uh, mark edwards uh won't hockey prospect he was he was talking to uh to jack after a game and uh he's trying to assess see if he could assess his own skill set and uh jack asked him he was like how do you think i did and then when mark started to answer him he pulled out his notepad and Mark, Mark, that took Mark by surprise because he said that's incredibly rare. It's very rare to see a player out of nowhere pull out his notebook to take self-evaluating notes in real time. When, when does that process, when did you see that start? What, when did you know that that was 
part of his mental makeup and how has that been reflected within his development? You know, the first few times you'd notice this player because, you know, an 8 p.m. skating class on a Wednesday, for instance, was kind of a rarity. Um, and, and you know, probably by week three, four, when he can just he continues to show up and he continues to show up and he's, he's early on the ice and you got to try to kick him off because he wants to stay. In fact, that started to be something that, that I would do. You know, I would let him stay for additional classes because, you know, he lived, um, you know, probably a little over an hour from where we were, you know, at the, the Bell Sensplex in Canada. And, and, you know, I always remember, here's this kid that just seems to want to be part of it and want to continue. And so that's how it's sort of, for me, I'm like, all right, there's something a little bit different about this player and that, you know, a lot of kids are just gripping to, you know, they put their time in and out they go and he was wanting to stay and all of a sudden showing up early. So, you know, it's sort of morphed where I'd see him in the glass and he's, you know, he's 50 minutes early for his class and tell him to get dressed and get out there. And you started to realize this is someone that's, you know, maybe wired a little differently and, you know, wants to go the extra mile. And so, you know, how that's sort of morphed to today, you know, not unlike a lot of, of clients, I don't know whether I gravitate to them or they gravitate to me. Um, but he's just so in tune with wanting to get better one um, two, always looking for an advantage in a way works at every single aspect of his game. Um, and he's, he's kind of got that thirst for improvement that, you know, a lot of people talk about, but you know, actions are, are certainly, you know, the qualifier for me, it's great to talk about wanting to put the work in and be good. You know, with Jack, I think the big thing is he puts the time in and he's consistent in the way that he puts that time in and, and you see it in the way that he grows. And, and you know, the, the neat part, as I've said, I, I think he's, he's not done growing as a player. And that's the intriguing part is he doesn't seem to be satisfied with where he is. And, you know, that, that desire to improve really fuels, you know, when we'll get together you know, in the offseason, it really fuels his, you know, what ways can we approach this to, to improve and, and how can I take the next step? When you have a client like that, when you talk, you made the comment of, you know, potentially he gravitated to you or you gravitated to him or, or is mutual. But once that relationship begins to develop, do you find that you actually feed off each other when you have somebody who has that type of growth mindset is now you as the teacher are for, like in many cases are even forced to up your game to another level to match that type of intensity. And you find that a lot of your clients are very similar in that respect. So it's almost in many cases, the student is actually feeding the teacher and vice versa. It becomes a, a never ending loop reciprocal. hundred percent. And and I mean, I think that the big thing thinking about, you know, a player like him, it's not so much that, you know, based on video, based on history with him, that I have the answers The the give and take is so important simply because, you know, me asking, what did you see? What did you feel in this scenario? Um, you know, at this level, how did it feel versus, you know, when it worked versus when it didn't. And, and so for me, it's not, you know, so much providing answers as it's guided discovery and that creating situations that draw him down the path to solving problems with skill um, that, that he encounters without giving him the answer, because it, it's not something that we memorize, right? It's, it's not, um, come to me, I'm a skill guru, and this move solves this problem. That's not how learning occurs. It's, it's, it's really got to be put into context of these are the situations that players find themselves in games. 
And based on their skill set and their perception of, of threat and, and the threat assessment process that goes on in terms of how do I succeed in this setting um, is really something that they've got to go down that path. And so it's creating game-like environments that, you know, put them into the situations to feel the stress that they would feel in a game-like setting. And then starting to expedite, all right, here's that process where, you know, within my skill set, within my tactic base, here's the way I'm going to solve this. And players like that are so intuitive to that, that process that, that we work through that it's, it's, it's so, so fun to be part of. Then uh, the follow-up question I have is, so we had the season of 1819, we had 12 goals in his rookie season in the O. And then the following season, he had 52. That's a 40-goal spike. So, you know, from my interest is what happened to get to that? Because that is it's that is a massive jump, not an incremental or something that you've seen previously. It was It was like, that was a massive jump. And that's what put him on everybody's radar. You know, and, and he was really starting to come. I think it's a combination of physical growth for sure. Um, and, and just recognition, his hockey sense is through the roof. And he finds areas. He went into a really good program at the time and was put in really favorable situations. And, and if you watched him at the time, just was really masterful at finding ice, worked a ton on his shot. And I know that he does continue to this day to work on his, on his shot, but finding ice and sort of being proactive about the pockets of ice that he'd find. And if you watch, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting when you go back and look at video of him playing in the Ontario hockey league, it was, it was really fun to see how he dissect and process coverages and jump to spots because it wasn't like he was, you know, skating through five guys and, and dangling everybody. It was all finding quiet ice, getting a loose, you know, getting his stick into a spot and bang. Um, and that was really the neat part is you recognize the intelligence factor. You know, you started to combine that with coming into himself physically um, and, and the magic that happened from just continuing to, to expedite finding those pockets of ice, working on his shot, combining that with his body and his athleticism. And yeah, it was, you know, the rest is kind of history. And so it was really neat because he was sort of the third guy in, in sort of three generations of 50 goal scorers that I had been fortunate enough with the 67s to work with in terms of started with Tyler Toffoli and, you know, morphed into to Ty Feliber and then to have Jack Quinn. Um, so it, it was it was kind of fun because it was, you know, no three were connected, but such an organic way that we had all come together in that word of mouth sort of setting. And um you know, each and every one of them sort of started and, and got to me in different ways. And it's, it was kind of neat to be, you know, have him be that third guy to reach that plateau. Just to uh, follow up, uh, got about a minute left thoughts on his continued pro- progression and the discussions you have with him as, you know, as an NHL pro now, this is his rookie year, full rookie year, just sort of helping him as a sounding board in that respect. Yeah, you know, anytime that I am fortunate enough to to speak with him, I mean, it's it's just continuing to find ways to get better. You know, in the summer, he's such a a competitive guy. I, I think about some of the times, especially as you know, this year as we start to get closer to the season, you know, really wanting to be included in in the groups that would really push him outside his comfort zone, and you'd have the you know the Claude Giroux and the Eric Carlsons and the Thomas Shabbats. And, and the like, you know, the Mac Uyghurs and the Calvin DeHans and just, 
you know, watching him interact and find ways and, and watch and learn. He was always such a student of it, watching how different players handle themselves and then using that information and melding it to his skill set. So for me, the message is always just, you know, better every day and keep pushing forward because we know that he'll put in the work and he's, you know, I know that he's not done getting better. I know that he knows he's not done getting better and I'm just excited for what the future has. And, you know, he's, he's, he's dabbled with it. Obviously Buffalo's having a season here, a much better season and they've got some depth, but I'm excited to see what he can do with that young group going forward because, you know, the sky's the limit for this kid. Well, Pat, we want to thank you very much for coming on the show again. Give us some great insight of some of the clients you work with and have a great day. You as well, guys. Thanks so much. That's Pat Malloy, skills and skating coach. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll be back right after these short messages. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Inside Hockey, offering the largest video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. This is where Brad gets to stretch his legs and talk about goaltending for the 2023 NHL draft. So um, it was funny. I went and watched a bunch of game film on goalies. And I'm not a goalie scout, so I was actually taking notes, and then I looked at the notes before the show, and I basically threw the notes away. I'm like, forget this. I'm just <laughs> going to ask Brad, right? Uh, when you're not a goalie scout by per se, you know, it. yes, you can put notes and you can make suggestions, but at the end of the day, I'm not even entirely sure how, what they're worth in terms of I look more at, to be honest, body language and how they react in situations when things go badly or things go well, then more than, than the technical, because that's not my game. So let's start with uh, Damian Clara. I want your thoughts on him. Uh, Italian-born player, uh, played in Austria for a while, and now obviously is in Sweden playing uh, this year, J20, um, and the Allsvenskan. So talk about his game overall, because that's a really, it's an interesting path that this player has made. And not very often do we have an Italian-born goaltender that's knocking on the door for the NHL draft. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I'll start off there. As you said, he's Italian. So um, he caught my interest two years ago. Uh, as you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Red Bulls Academy over right, in so Salzburg. Yeah. And uh, so he ended up in that academy and, and uh, I saw him get recruited there. So that piqued my interest immediately when you saw the size and then you saw where he was going. The other aspect was uh, I was watching a bit of Division B uh, internationally to see another player 
And then he came to me. I was like, who is this gigantic Italian goalie who's actually moving well? And that that's where it started. So uh, I've been very, very intrigued to see what he would look like as the season started to unfold here at the J20 level. And he's exceeded my expectations. Um, for our listeners, like to give an idea of how scarce it is to to get an idea of goaltending in, in the public eye. I mean, I have never seen this player mentioned publicly. He is not mentioned publicly. I am willing to bet a lot of money, a lot. I don't have that much money. I'm an independent scout, but I'm willing to bet the money I have that uh, that he is on NHL teams' radars. This is not some seventh round goalie we're talking about here. This is not a late name draft. This this player is going to go, I think, very high. Uh, the reason is because it's not just the size. It's the athleticism with the size that truly separates this goalie and what you said, the mental makeup of him. So one thing that really impressed me at Division B level was there were times where he would have big delays within the amount of saves that he was going to make. Right. So he would have six, seven minute intervals where he's not making a lot of saves. Then he would have to out of nowhere have two or three defensive breakdowns. He's stopping two a break. I noticed the same thing. Yeah. 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 So that that's that's really important to, to see. And it's important to see him stay focused within those flurries and come out on top. Right. So the mental attributes are there uh, from my initial sample before J20. But if you told me, if you asked me at the beginning of the season, if I thought he could be able to hang at the Elsvenskin level with Carl Skroger when he got a cup of coffee up there, yeah. I would have told you I think he would have been in a lot of trouble. And he wasn't just good. He was incredible in one performance and he wasn't that bad in the other either so uh the the point of saying that is the curve is excellent the toolkit when you're talking about his height to his reflexes to his ability to micro shuffle from a standing position to making micro adjustments when he's changing between and out of movements is exceptional so what you're looking at is a very raw goalie so he's behind some of the other goalies we're going to discuss here in terms of technical ability. So if you look at Cam Fowler and you look at Carson, sorry, Cam Fowler, in the NHL camp, I always make this mistake, Jacob Fowler. And when you look at Carson Bjornsson, they are ahead of him, technically speaking, but they will never catch him, athletically speaking. So right. it's all about the catch up game. And so uh, for my money, I think this is one of the top three goalies in the draft. This is the first time I've said it publicly. I really think he's going to go in the second or third round. I think there's too much upside, and somebody's going to somebody's going to bite and take him. I want to talk you, uh, talk to you about Igor Igorov. Love the name. Now that's the challenge this year, obviously, with Russia not having we're not we're not have access to watch these players. They're not leaving Russia to go to international tournaments, so a lot of it obviously is on film, which is a challenge in itself. But thoughts on him leading into this draft class and. You know, I expect he'll be drafted, but where he'll be drafted is that's the great unknown. And I wonder how much that's affected, obviously, by what's going on in Russia and the access to these players. Yeah, that's a great point by you. I have to rely only on video footage where if Clara, I'm going to get an opportunity to see him later this season uh, live, which really obviously lets me be a lot more comfortable with my projection. Uh, the, the other aspect of Igor Yargorov, this is another player I've never heard mentioned publicly once. Um, even privately, this is a player that not many people know about. The reason why is because he's a backup. So he's a backup in Dynamo system. So in the MHL, Dynamo is an elite team. Their system in the KHL, MHL, VHL, that's an elite, that's an elite program where a ton of high-end talent goes. The money's good there. right? So you get a lot of people in the system that, that play there professionally that are willing to stay there. Uh, so I'm comfortable with the system he's in is the point of me saying that. But I'm also comfortable the fact projecting a backup 
as a high-end potential starter because in Russia, he's in August birthday. He's one of the youngest players in this draft. He's two weeks away from eligibility next season. The other factor is this is his first season in the MHL. So they're trying to allow him an opportunity to get reps in before they give him the starting, uh, the starting position. The other aspect is they have a more experienced goalie. In Russia, they typically do that. Alexander right. Gorgiev, there was a lot of discussion between why Ilyan Samsonov wasn't getting the starts over Alex Gorgiev uh, internationally at the U-20 tournament a couple, well, more than a couple seasons now. They, time flies. But uh, the reason was because of experience. They, they really, really factor into experience. So with Igor Yegorov, I really think that this is an elite goalie talent. I think he's a top three goalie in this draft, just like Damian Clara. You probably have never heard his name. I think... I know Clara for sure is going to get drafted. I can't say Igor Yagorov will, uh, but he will be very high on my list. I think there's a tremendous amount of potential. 6'3", 180 pounds, incredible athlete. Uh, when it comes to his extension rates, when it comes to his reflexes, when it comes to his ability to skate within his crease, he is more high-end than a lot of these other goalies. So that's one of the reasons I have, I'm so bullish on him. But admittedly, I need a bigger sample to, to really feel uh, comfortable down the stretch. Can I ask you about uh, Carson Bjarnelson? Now, playing in the CHL, he's the only player, only goaltender we're going to talk about in these two segments that actually plays in the CHL. My thoughts about CHL goaltenders is they just have a shorter runway comparative to the European players or a player that's going to go to college. Because they're going to pro at 20. Regardless of what happens, they're going to pro at 20 when they're drafted and they're signed. It's just the way it is. So thoughts on him when you got to look at his game and then you got to think about, okay, what's his runway for development? How long is it going to, before he turns pro? And this is how much time he has to prepare for that. And then he's right into the pro ranks of the American Hockey League, not into another league. That's probably where he's going to end up. So thoughts on him overall from that perspective. It's an excellent point you bring up, and it, and it really does matter. Believe me, a lot of NHL goalie scouts, development coaches will tell you they prefer the college route. Uh, I'm in the same position. It's for the same reason, which is that if a goalie is raw, take Thatcher Demko as an example of this. Right. You want to give them as much time as they need in college that they will theoretically allow them before they turn pro so that they are technically refined enough to hold. Right Now, I would normally be more worried about a player that's coming out of the WHL and having to turn pro a bit earlier than some of these other goalies are theoretically going to have to uh, over in Europe, for instance, right? Uh, however, in Carson Bjornsson's instance, he's one of the technically most mature goalies in the class. So from that perspective, he's already developmentally ahead, which means I'm more comfortable with him being in the WHL right. and having to make the transition, right? So that's the first thing I'll say about Carson Bjornsson is that when you look at him, when you see how he works within his overlap position, his reverse VH, his post-integration from a standing position, his technical butterfly, his positional butterfly, his ability to adjust, there's a lot, a lot of excellent nuances to him and he's refined already. Uh, there's a lot of maturity presented in this game. He's very poised. The the player comp I would give uh, for him uh, would be actually something similar to Jesper Wallstead. There right. are some similarities between them. So what I mean by that is Jesper is a big 6'3", 200-pound goalie, uh, kind of like a tank in net, really thick and wide looking in the crease, absorbs pucks very well, excellent at interpret and, and anticipating the play in advance, including like low to high danger and tight redirects, two-on-ones, be able to recognize if there's a sudden shift within a position on, on, a, on a shot, uh, excellent at uh, reading and reacting around his net area. He anticipates to play very well. Uh, that said, 
He has a limiting factor that some of these other goalies, specifically Ugarov and Clara, don't have to deal with. And that's that he is fundamentally a little behind them, athletically speaking, when it comes to his lateral rates, when it comes to lateral transition ability. And right. okay. by far the most important aspect is the, the hip mobility, which I've actually discussed with a, an NHL goalie scout and a former goalie uh, discussing his hip mobility, because that's where I'm most concerned. And they shared a bit of those concerns, but they also think it's a factor of fatigue. So there, that's kind of the dialogue, at least behind right. the scenes that you're, we're discussing when it comes to what's going on with his game, because he was he started off so hot. Right. He was excellent right out of the gate. Then his play started to subside a bit. And the reason was more of a factor of fatigue because he was getting a lot of shots per game. Right. There's a whole lot of high danger shots per game and he's a bigger kid. So it's just going to structurally weigh on him more than it would for some other goalies, uh, but very mature pro style game. It's just the absolute ceiling. There's certain save types. He's not going to be able to get to that. Igor Yegorov and Damian Clara, I think theoretically can. Right. right. And that's kind of the difference. You're trying to weigh the floor that, well, I mean, of the, of those, yeah, those other two to this one. Yeah. That makes sense. Yes, exactly. So and that's what you do as a goalie scout, right? What I have to do is contrast them. I'll do it with Guyane. I'll explain how I kind of operate when I'm looking at them and trying to contrast them to get an idea of how to do, establish a ranking. But yeah, very interesting goalie. I have mentioned this before. I'll end on this note. I really do think this is the deepest draft for goalies since probably 2012. Right. Uh, and that's saying something. Absolutely. Well, we'll take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We come back, we'll continue to talk about the goaltenders. So stay tuned right after this. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There's no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat stats video editing tools visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information instat the institute of statistics the junior prospect hockey league is western canada's newest elite developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level the jphl features professional coaches and skill development coaches along with comprehensive practice game and academic schedule allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs to learn more and see why the jphl is the ideal choice for your student athlete and family visit juniorprospectshockeyleague.com Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back in Powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're continuing to talk about goaltenders for the 2023 NHL draft. So first off the hop, now we're going to talk about is um, Adam um, Gaijin. Now, look, he had a great World Juniors. I think he opened up a lot of eyes. Um, I thought he was going to pull off a godla and lead his team into a medal round. And honestly, I think if they would have, if they would have held off Swiss, they could have done it. And they lost, they were up three, one going in the third and they just couldn't hold on it. Well, I don't think it was his fault, uh, but I, dig- I digress. So let's talk about him 
and the potential, because now that he's in the USHL, um, jumped up from the North American League, there's going to be obviously more eyes on him on a consistent basis in Green Bay. So overall, his skill set and what you're hoping to see from him for the remainder of the season, because that's really the hard charge and right down to the playoffs and then see what he does in the playoffs. Well, to, to start, yeah, what you're hoping for is that his U20s wasn't wasn't his peak performance output, and that was more of the norm. Right. Because if that's the case, then you're really happy, right? Like, yeah. he, he was tremendous at that event. Blew, blew me away. And I always tell you, if, if I if I knew him beforehand, if I didn't, you or your girl, I'm the first person I know who's ever mentioned the kid's name. This kid, I'm behind. I was behind. I didn't know about him until the U20s. People were raving about him in the NHL. I was behind on this player. Um so with Adam, I'll give you a direct comp. That's how comfortable I am with it. I've watched a lot of them the last two years, uh, and that's Logan Thompson. This player is very, very similar to Vegas' starting netminder, Logan Thompson. So the thing with Logan was he was a late bloomer. Uh, big, athletic, raw would be the best way to put it. A Guyane at the same age, I don't know. So that's where the comp right. falls off for me. Because I didn't know Logan Thompson in his initial draft season. I've seen Logan Thompson when he hit the ECHL. So very different in terms of uh, of where they were at the same age. But in terms of what they could look like, what Guyane could look like at 25, 26, it really should look something similar to Logan Thompson. Made. The One of the main reasons I bring that up is because Guyane has a very developed blocker side relative to his age group. Uh, the blocker side can be a tricky one. It was one of the only, the, one of the only things that really – worried me about UC Saros's game when projecting him long-term at the NHL level was his blocker was a bit behind the rest of them. Uh, it does matter a lot, is my point. Uh, and there was a back and forth. It took time for Saros to adjust to after shooters adjusted to him initially. Right, right. Now, with Goyen and Logan Thompson, one of the reasons he's made this successful transition is that his blocker size is a byproduct of his athleticism. So when I looked, we just discussed Carson Bjornsson, for instance, and a player we're about to mention in Jacob Fowler. When you look at their, their blocker side and you look at their shoulder rotation, one thing you do is you look at how they integrate into their post when they were doing an overlap position. And usually what happens is if the player's in tight on them, they're going to look to go upstairs. So what I'm looking is to see how they, uh, how they uh, push up and out of their overlap and try to take the top part of the net away by exaggerating their shoulder posture. When you look at Carson Bjornsson, his is below average. When you look at Jacob Fowler's, it's relatively average. When you look at Adam Guyan's, it's exceptional. And that's what you do is you take every technical component that you see, you look at theoretically where high danger chances are on the ice, and then you take their skill set and you try to grade their skill set of where they're most likely to deal with high danger shots relative to where they aren't. So when you look at Bjornsson's high danger rate relative to Guyane's, it's a completely different playing field because Guyane has excellent lateral mobility, just like Logan Thompson. He has fantastic extension rates within his legs and fantastic reflexes, just like Logan Thompson. However, just like Logan Thompson, sometimes he can over, right. uh, overplay his position, loses outside edge. Carson Bjornsson does not project to do it as often because he's more meticulous, more calculated, more methodical within his movement and his efficiency. So as a goalie scout, I just want to give you guys a, a better, guys, girls, children of all ages, our listeners, uh, a better understanding of, from a scouting perspective of how you individually take a component of a goalie and then you have to subsection and break them down meticulously in every area. And it takes a long time, which is one of the reasons I, I try to only get my initial goalie list uh, halfway through the year. Thoughts on Michael Horabel uh, playing with Omaha Lancers. What's interesting is 
And he's not scheduled to go to the University of Massachusetts until 2025. So there's two more seasons for him, potentially, in the USHL. So that's a lot of games played before he gets into NCAA. Now, that could change, but that's what the schedule is currently. So what that says to me is, of all the goaltenders going into this draft class, he's going to have the longest runway, which I happen to like. I think there's like that actually makes him more valuable as a prospect you're going to draft as a goaltender than any other goaltender in this draft class, just based on that alone. It's a huge and significant factor that we wait, just like we talked about with Carson Bjornsson in the WHL. You do the same thing with Rabble here uh, about the projection. Now I will say this. I have watched Rabble a lot before he came over. I watched him in Sparta's system very raw. So I understand why that there, there was the timeline, the timeline that they initially put in place for him, but much like Damian Clara, which you give the same side, same type of timeline to because of the, the height and having to grow into that frame, Krabble uh, has been remarkably impressive within his physical development. Clara, there's there's a whole lot more physical development work to be done. Krabble is caught up quicker. So what that means to me, obviously I don't know, but if I was to really give you a, a calculated guess, I would say that he does not need the extra years in the USA show based off what we're currently seeing. I think right. he can go to college season and be fine. I really do. Um, so with, with Robble, to me, he has the highest ceiling out of any goalie in this draft. Right? That's, when, you, when you take the 6-6 frame, when you take the athletic base, when you take yeah. the technical components of what he could mold, and when you're looking at a goalie, it's, it's not what they are. Right. You know, this very you always talk about it takes three, four five years for certain types of player types to enter the NHL. Well, as you know, goalies take the longest or really tall goalies even take longer than that. Look at Jakob Markstrom, how long it right. took him to become what he was projected to always become. And I bring up Jakob Markstrom because that's my player comparable for him. Stylistically, there is some Jakob Markstrom in this player, um, both good and bad. Uh, so with Robble. Uh, very much like Adam Guyan, when when they're not doing well. So actually, I should I should bring this up to our listeners. One thing about goalies, and it's really difficult to communicate, especially in small segments like this, is usually if I'm talking about their their very very good qualities, you're seeing those in their better performances. There's always a tale of two tapes when it comes to goalies. When a, when a goalie's off his game, he's not going to look very good relative to when he's on his game, and it's more pronounced at the goalie position because there's a reduced margin of error, which we've discussed, yeah. right? And so when I'm talking about some of their better traits, it's things that you're going to see consistently within their peak performance output. When they're talking about the negative traits, those are primarily shown when they're off their game. Right? Yeah. And that's just the way, that's just the nature of the position. Right. So uh, with Robble, for instance, when he's on his game, he's more quiet and composed and structured in his net and he's not losing his crease. He's right. also reading the initial shooting angle at a better rate. When he's off his game, all those qualities you just discussed break down right so that's just to give an idea of of, of how to communicate what, how i'm trying to communicate this well we got two minutes left let's talk about jacob fowler who is going to go on he's another ushl goaltender out of youngstown phantoms going to play in uh, boston college next year a couple minutes and thoughts on him and what you're hoping to see through the rest of the stretch run yeah, so he, he's he's been very impressive this season. I hadn't seen Jacob a lot uh, prior to coming into this year, not nearly as much as Clara or Krabble, for instance. Uh, that said, so Jacob Fowler falls in the middle ground of a goalie type that I admittedly have a bias towards in a negative way. And that does not mean he's a bad goalie. It means I have a bias. And I'll explain that bias right now. 
I love specializations within players. I always have because I find them really interesting to track, monitor, project. It's more fascinating to me with goalies. Same thing. Jacob right. Fowler is a well-rounded goalie who's the ma- he's a jack of all trades, master of none. So that doesn't mean he's bad. On the contrary, that's refreshing in a sense. You right. that, that you can work with that. Believe me, that's not a bad quality. I'm not saying a negative thing about this kid in terms of that. What what I am saying is. From a goalie perspective, for me, I love hyper-athletic goalies that are erratic at times, okay? It's just the just the, what I'm prone to. So the Michael Krabbles, the Adam Guyans, the Logan Thompsons, the Elvis Merzlikens, the, the Alex Gorgievs of the world, hyper-athletic, re- reflexive uh, goalies who look otherworldly one performance, then mentally break down and you're wondering what you're doing for a living the next, right? So <laughs> that's my type of goalie. Jacob Fowler has been very consistent with the exception, I mentioned this because of the erratic nature, he he has been extremely consistent within his game-to-game performances unless they're on back-to-backs. He has had back-to-back breakdowns consistently with the exception of the beginning of the season uh, when he held uh, really well. I can't remember the team off the top of my head. It was a long time ago. I scouted that now. But um, the thing about that is that I have to factor that into my projection because that might skew the interpretation because, well, he's getting lit up, but it's off a back-to-back where he already made 40 saves the previous night, right? So these are the little nuances you have to look for within the breakdown of the goalie and be like, well, okay, he let in five goals. Oh, but it's off a back-to-back. Well, he let another five goals, but it's off another back-to-back. Context, of course. The context and those traits. So hopefully that gives our listeners a little bit of an understanding of some of the detail of how to scout this. We'll, we'll do another big breakdown uh, later in the year when I finalize my list, but uh, look for our list coming out in two weeks here at hockey prospect. And this will be the first real goalie list I do. All right. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned on hockey prospect radio, but we'll be back right after these short messages. Instat hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back empowered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. So we're happy to bring on once again Jason Bukla for our scouting perspective segment. And the topic this week is, I think, appropriate because we have the you know the U.S. All-American Top Prospects game. And, of course, the U.S. National Development uh, Program is involved. So it's our topic this week is evaluating the U.S. National Development Training Program compared to other prospects in other junior leagues. I don't know what you think, Jason, but Brad and I 
spoken about this on air and off air many times. We find the program sometimes challenging because it's essentially an all-star team inside of a junior league. And yes, they play against college teams and in other international tournaments, but that is the challenge in itself. So talk a little bit about evaluating the program when in turn, you're also evaluating the USHL players at the same time. Well, in a game like today's, um, it, it has a little bit um, of a, a different type of a slant, like when you're in a prospects game. For a lot of moving parts, uh, you know, playing out of position, um, not really being comfortable with one another. So to your point, Shane, um, you really have to, in league play, watch the U18 team versus some of the better USHL teams and kind of you know, peel back the onion a little bit and uh, start to, to generate value viewings out of them in those leagues. Um, but, you know, you guys are onto something here because this team, uh, you know, we see them at all the big events, right? The Five Nations events here in Plymouth in, in, uh, in November. We're going to see them again in February. And, of course, the Worlds is their big one at the end of the year. That's by far their – they build towards the World event. Um, it, it poses some interesting challenges scouting the U.S. Uh, development team. Um, one of the things that I've always found to be a challenge over the years is, um, like you said, it is almost like an all-star team. So there's only one puck, and there's some guys that get, um, I don't want to use the word buried, but I don't know what else, I don't know how else to tell you. So slotted, let's just say slotted, um, you know, in the three-hole or the four-hole on this team, where if they're playing on some other club teams, even some USHL teams, maybe a top six forward, for example, or maybe being playing on the top line. So um, you really have to uh, watch closely. And, uh, you know, the guys like the Hughes brothers that have come through here or the Zegras or the Matthews back in the day at the U-17 level. And, um, you know, Spencer Knight, when he had the net here, Caulfield, like we could go on and on about names. Those are all the big names that are easy to view. But you have to start to take uh, notice of some of the other uh, in-between guys Um like uh, Brock Faber, for example, you know, right. uh, when he was when he was selected and, um, and, and you know, put value on them. So um, it's a it's a great program, though. I, I think we would all agree on that. Like the, the amount of talent coming out of this program is elite. Yeah, the point, Jason, I mean, it, it is refreshing to know that you just watch a full game and you're going to have to watch 10 players that actually matter. It doesn't uh, happen too often unless it's international. So to get in the USHL, it doesn't hurt. Um, that said, I bring up it doesn't hurt uh, us as scouts. Uh, do you get wary, though, from a development perspective? Uh, for instance, one name that, that comes to mind immediately to me is Ryan Chesley, uh, um, the other season there where he was having to play out of position on the power play. It took him a long time to get going. You know, there was question marks that uh, were arising about maybe the long term projection where he, including our staff, uh, uh, were, were bullish on him to start the season. And then he fell off before I thought reestablishing himself at the end of the year. So can you talk about that and, and just the development side of it and what you think from a scouting perspective? No, I think Chesley's a really good example to use. So um, last year in season, even around this time of year, let's call it, um, you know, I, I'm with you guys. I had some concerns, you know, um, his timing was off, pushing the pace with the puck on his stick at the wrong time, maybe not making just a safe stick to stick play, you know, on his zone exits. Um, a little hectic, I would suggest to you guys, and and really undefined. And then by the end of the year, certainly at the World Championships, uh, you know, totally different, playing more within himself, um, still producing a little bit of offense. But here's the thing. I don't 
think, and I think most of us would agree, I don't project Chesley, and I never have projected Chesley to be, um, you know, a transitional defender as an NHL player. I've, I've always, I think he's a two AD, uh, midsize, skates well, gaps up, a little bit of bump to his game, but I don't see him as an elite offensive talent. So the more safe he plays and just executes uh, uh, accordingly, uh, the better. And and so last year there were those moments, absolutely, where it was like, buddy, you know, you got to do less or that's your timing's off or, you know, on the power play, just you didn't look real comfortable in that situation. So it can be misleading at times. And that's why at the end of the year, you hope that he's defined and he was defined come the end of the year. And that was really important for sure. Jason, how much does the environment impact the players when you we use Chesley as an example where he can feel pressure because of all the talent around him, he feels compelled to make the high end plays to, you know, to fit in with everybody else instead of identifying who he is as a player. And I've seen this with other players. The one, you know, Trent Frederick was trying to do some of those things in in his game, in his draft year. The only player I thought just played within himself the whole time was Brock Faber. I think he just knew Mm -hmm. who he was as a player, but you find that, can sometimes creep into players games on the program that they just try to do too much because they feel pressured based on the amount of talent that's around them. Yeah. I think that's interesting. It's uh, certainly when they're playing USHL games or against college teams, it's almost like they try and do things that are outside their element. And I don't know if that's them between the years or the coaches are suggesting to them, you know, let's try this, let's try that. And, and, you know, push your push your limits in uh, uncomfortable areas of your game, um, because that's something, Shane, that I've noticed a lot over the years, you know, but you brought up a great name in Brock Faber. And, you know, he's what he was my one of my favorites in that draft class Mine uh, too. Coming, yeah. coming off that team. Like I just uh, he's such a smart, reliable uh, leader does all the little things right. And he's one of those guys that never changed uh, that whole season. He did all those things and he's, you know, that's, what's going to make him a good pro. That's what's making him a good college player. And he's, you know, wearing, I believe he's wearing the C isn't he at Minnesota this year. Yeah. Um, so Chesley, uh, you know, that's, that's a really good example. There's other guys that have come through that, um, you know, it, it's less is more, you know, they got like the, the Brady Cleveland kid who's here today playing, um, you know, he, he's a big rig and, and you want that guy just to play to a simple identity and not, not too much outside of his comfort zone. And, and when he does get outside of his comfort zone, uh, it can be misleading. So, um, it's a challenge, man. It's, it's, it's an all-star team. And I think there must be at times that pressure in the room, like you guys say that, you know, I want to be doing what that guy does or what that guy does, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to project that as a pro. When you're looking at uh, the defense specifically, I find you know, there's a whole lot of talent offensively. And because of that, sometimes they, they lack structure. You know, they, one of the best examples of this was Trevor Zegers in the first half of his season. He was just trying what we call three-point plays all over the ice no matter what. He was just experimental mode the whole time, which meant more defensive breakdowns. More de- However, you brought up Brock Faber. And another player that I, I think uh, had some, some similarities to Faber that I really liked in his draft season was Drew Ellison. And uh, the reason I bring them up is because they play a quiet, mature, pro-style game. And when there's a lack of structure on the program, I feel that that helps emphasize and highlight those mature players. Would you, would you agree with that? And is that maybe one of, the, one of the keys to at least getting to identify the team? Because 
uh, although there's a lack of structure, those are the structured players. And then, and then the quiet players that actually matter to scouts stand out. I think what we're on to here is that the program plays its own kind of structure. But when you start bringing up guys like Hellison and Faber, um, you know, and then you could even Zegris, well, even Sonny Milano, like when Sonny right. Milano was here, you know, like Sonny Milano would handle the puck like it was road hockey half the time. And he had, he just lacks detail, but you can see the elite skill. And, but you know, the projection it was, and if you fast forward to today, all NHL teams love the skill. They just, you know, concerned about the detail. He's, he's actually doing okay in Washington after getting picked up, but he's a guy that might play for six or seven teams before his career is over because he has an element, but he's not real trustworthy in certain areas of the game. Hallison, um, well, what's different with Hallison compared to even like a guy like Faber, size, first of all, you know, he's a much bigger player. Um, I've always liked Hallison. I think he moves really well. I think he manages the game very well. Uh, he does have that size uh, to him, so he's got length. Even if he's not uh, being overly physical, big guys like bigger guys like that have more length to their game to get in the way, reach as well. Um, but it was interesting when Hallison came out of school, um, speaking to people in the league um, uh, and, you know, some people on the development uh, staff, uh, they were a little bit um, put out, I guess is the safest way for me to put it, uh, with his fitness and his actual development. He had he had not developed to the point where they thought that he should have been uh, to hit the ground running in the NHL. So it's an interesting kind of a conundrum, if you will. We talk about the U18 program, and maybe they try and play outside their element a little bit. Then he went to college and he played a certain style there. And then he arrives at the pro game and they thought that he would be a little bit further ahead of the curve than he has been. So um, it's a little bit of a melting pot, isn't it? Uh, that, that whole situation, the program to college to, to, uh, to the pro game. So that's an interesting case study. We should almost circle back and, and uh, do some more digging on player development uh, from major junior and European uh, and get some development people to speak on that just uh, their observations. Well, that's what I find fascinating about the program is because they also play against a variety of different opponents. So you're really seeing the structure or depending on the style of play and the type of players were in that year, all sort of like culminating together in this melting pot, which is, that's why I find the the program sometimes uh, fun and challenging to obviously to evaluate uh, it's not as hectic as watching high school hockey. That'll make me pull whatever hair left I have out of my head. That's a whole nother matter, but um, I find it really, it's, yeah, I find it fascinating. It's, it's a tough one. Uh, Jason, I want to thank you very much again for coming on the show. We always appreciate the great insight. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. And of course, as always safe travels out there. Yeah. Thanks guys. Have a great afternoon. We'll look forward to talking to you again. That's Jason Bukla from Sportsnet. Uh, we're going to take a short break on hockey prospect radio, but we'll be back right after these messages. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat stats video editing tools visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information instat the institute of statistics 
The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. So we're going to talk about the Buffalo Sabres prospects next. So we're happy to bring on Adam Mayer, the Director of Player Development for the Sabres. Adam, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. No problem, guys. Good to see you, Shane, Brad. Well, I know you're you're taking off to go on a road trip to go see uh, a lot of your prospects, and you know, a person in your position, you do a lot of traveling because you got prospects spread out all over the place. And first off, we want to get your thoughts on um, Matthew Savoy. And you know, look, it was interesting what happens in terms of the World Junior teams, and did I think he deserved to be there? Sure. Uh, there was it, there's always a debate by who gets left off or who's there. And, um, you know, I thought he's had, you know, a really strong season. I think some people, you know, you look at production of one year and you look at to the next and they're ex- expecting more points. And I always try to look at the context of it. Like his points per game are exactly the same as they were last year. Exactly. The difference I found when I'm watching his game is where does he get points? Who does he get points against? Like what's his percentage of five on five production against the top lines against like he has all the harder matchups against the tougher defense, allowing, you know, his rest of his teammates to go against, you know, lesser competition. So for me, although the points, you know, per game is the same, I think what he's producing is actually more valuable. And then I think in the end translates to, to pro hockey more effectively. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's interesting that you note that, and you know, we're coming off our our winter meetings, um, development and scouting meetings, where you know, from a development staff standpoint, we bring all of our our, our amateur staffs up to speed, like in detail on our guys. And one thing that really you know stood out for us when when looking at Matt was just you know he's really really ramped up his production here in the last like you know six six weeks or so, and. You know, it's it's not uncommon for for a younger player um, of his standing and stature coming through the draft. I mean, they they had a good team last year. He got banged up um, in the playoffs. Um, you know, so was was nursing an injury all the way through the summer. But still, you know, he had the combine, he had the draft, um, the development camp. You know, and then NHL rookie and training camp. And you know, he's a motivated player. He's got a desire to impact the game and you know he was all in and focused on making the buffalo sabers and he, and he was in training camp pretty deep uh you know in buffalo and then when we ended up assigning him to winnipeg you know it's it's natural i think for there to be a little bit of like uh you know a flatness or a plateau to start the season it's just finally everything you know he gets a chance to breathe and it's just such a build-up all summer you know um right from like i said the draft all the way through 
And you see that a, across the board, I think, with a lot of the, the higher end prospects and just how they're tugged and pulled, you know, throughout that that part of the. Uh, I find you know, there's a lot of burnout. Off season, yeah. So you know, we're extremely pleased with you know how he's played for sure. Um, you mentioned the matchups, but you know when I watch his play, you know he it's the versatility. It's like the you know James Patrick, the coach. I've I've you know spent time both playing for him as a player, but before that, like played with him. And, you know, so we have a good relationship and he trusts Matt in all kinds of situations. You know, he's played him at center. He's playing with the wing, you know, he's a prominent penalty killer. He's all over the place on the power play, you know, wherever there's a hole that they're looking to, to bump up production, Matt gets put in that spot. So, um, you know, we're really excited. And like I said, the last six weeks or so, you know, you've sort of seen that, that production sort of take off. And the fact that he's still on pace for, you know, 90 points like he had last year is a pretty incredible season as a, you know, an 18 year old in junior hockey. So. Adam, I felt like what you just said really, uh, I really agree with, with the whole the fact he's so well-rounded. There's a versatility to him. He can play wing, he can play center. He, he's got hard skill to him, which I find no Ostland. If I was to contrast them, that would be the big contrast. No has to be more slippery where uh, obviously Savoy can be a little more uh, physical and get, use his leverage to get underneath players. Uh, my question for you is, do you feel that with his development, is there more emphasis placed on his support game with the potential for him to be a center? And how have you found his anticipation to be as he hits more pro-level competition like you saw him in, in camp? Yeah, so um, that's a great question. Uh, and you hit on the versatility. And, you know, I'll circle that back, you know, first of all, to the person and the player. Um, you know, his drive, like his love for hockey is incredible. He's coachable. Like he, you know, we'll send him video clips. Like he's right back. He has questions. Like he wants to get better. And, you know, talking about sort of hockey Canada and him not being on that, that world junior team, you know, it was, if you look at the the team on a whole, there was a lot of 2003 born players and, you know, that's pretty typical like through hockey Canada. And I, and I think they found a recipe that obviously is successful and, um, you know, I don't think that speaks to any of the 04s or even 05s that were on the team like Matt. Uh, but I did feel that in a role on that team, if he were to be, if he was selected, you know, down the lineup, you know, if he's not in the top six, he can still be productive. You know, he's a PK guy. He gets in on the four check. He's a real competitive player. He wins puck battles. You know, you can trust him with the puck and, you know, for me, like he's got a really good, what I would call multi-layered game. You know, it's not just strictly, you know, offensively focused. Um, you know, he's trusted late in games. He's trusted up or down a goal. And, you know, it's an important thing. And their team's like right at top of the Eastern standings. They've added, um, you know, players to push. So, you know, I'm excited for, for a long run. And, you know, when talking to Matt about, you know, getting news that he wasn't on the team, the the, the Canada team, you know, I just loved his response. He's like, you know what? I can't control it. I'm here to get better every day. We got a really good team in Winnipeg. And like, I want to push these guys all the way to a WHL championship. So, you know, I just, I think that just speaks to to what he is and, and the player that he is. Uh, next player we want to ask you about as well. And and Brad referred to him in, in Noah Oslin. And you got a chance, obviously, to see him play at the World Juniors. Um, you know, it's a different circumstance of what he's playing in the Oslin. going to like when guys there's that jump into thrown into that pot because I, I like to see how adaptable they are and coaches put you in different roles and they ask you to play a different system. And I think it really gives us an indication of hockey sense, willingness to do what 
is asked of you and then adaptability uh was were those some of the asked you know attributes you saw from Noah Oslin at that time when he made that jump into the world juniors and into basically a, a pretty you know hostile environment when it comes to when it's hosted in Canada yeah it really is I mean it's tough for all those countries and you know it, it, you know I'm Canadian and there's definitely a, a home field advantage for sure but um you know one thing I gotta say with Noah and it's it's what our our staff liked before we drafted them. It's what our development staff like really gravitated to right away. Um, and what we really love about, about Noah is just, you know, this guy loves to be on the ice and he loves to play hockey and get better, but also like, he's just an incredibly smart player on both sides of the puck. Like he is, his hockey sense is at a very, very high level. Um, he's responsible. He's a two way sort of, uh, center on, on projection. I think, um, you know, he's just got those like natural centerman qualities and, you know, you just can't help but but love a player that you can lean on like that. And right away, you know, there's a lot of trust. You know, there's, you know, they did have a coaching change in U Garden, and you know, both coaches, you know, use them very similarly in the fact that like they trust him. He's on the ice, you know. And for a team that's pushing to get back up into the SHL, you know, th- I think that speaks a lot to to put a lot of that responsibility on a younger player. So, you know, Noah. But like I was out in in Halifax and, you know, in the preliminary round, spent the whole that whole time there with all of our players and um, his game just got better. And, you know, he didn't play the the first game that he played um, in Halifax on the 26th was his first competitive hockey game in four in four weeks. You know, he hadn't played. um, He was coming off a hand injury. And, you know, I just thought he got better as the tournament went on. And then, you know, if you go and and kind of watch the, the quarterfinal semis, you know, just those metal round games, like he was incredible. Like he was, he was really good. His game was, was taking off. And for a player that hasn't played a whole lot on, on a NHL surface and NHL rank, like he adapted quickly and, and by the end of it was, was dictating. And, you know, that was awesome to see. You mentioned the hand injury. My question for Adam is uh, regarding the frame, right? In his draft season, that was the big talking point. Uh, we're, we're fortunate enough to have a Swedish scout who's based out of your garden, actually works for your garden now, um, and his strength and conditioning coach. So we got him to go right up to him and, and uh, measure him and, and uh, take some photos and video for us and see what he's yeah. about. And, and the, main, the main criticism would be that even though he is hockey strong for his size, he's really? very narrow. Very narrow, yes. very right. You, you usually typically, as you know better than most, you typically want the broader frame because it means extra weight down the line that you can use at the NHL level to your advantage, right? Uh, but in Noah's case, one thing that I found very interesting about you know, you mentioned how intelligent he is. Well, one thing that intelligent players do is they adapt to use their uh, adapt to their frame and their skill set so they can take advantage of it. He's so evasive, and I feel that his narrow frame actually helps him because emphasize that quality he's even more evasive than he theoretically would be if he was brought so my question for you is as a development coach how do you balance that how much mass do you actually want to get on this kid and is there one of those set points where there's too much how do you how do you look at from a development perspective with this frame uh well for sure i mean he's a player like all the players that we're talking about right now they're young they're 18 like they need to add strength they need to add mass but my personal belief on, on that and like in dealing with like our, our performance team is that has to come naturally. You know, I, I just think back to a situation, my own situation where, um, you know, I kind of was the last cut early in my career on a few teams and, and made a conscious effort to come into camp and, you know, come in five, six pounds heavier, add a lot more mass in the summer and, and try to play a more physical role than I had been early in my career. And, 
Um, I just didn't feel good on the ice. You know, it just, I wasn't into my natural frame, my natural body, like where the weight that a well-conditioned strong athlete just gravitates to. Um, so, you know, we want them to obviously, you know, make sure that they're training properly. Um, they're doing the right things. They're, they're resting They're you know, the nutrition is, is spot on and they're giving themselves the best chance to get stronger and become the eventual men that they're going to be. But there's no rush to that. There's no science about, you know, getting it there in one year, just eventually that's where it'll go. And whatever weight all these guys play at, like, you know, I think it's the other things that matter, you know, like you said, like his edges are incredible. He's elusive. Like he's slippery. He's so smart. Like you hardly ever see him take on much contact um, just his adaptability in the game. Again, another guy that, you know, can, can be in a multi-layered role, you know, like he can kill penalties, you know, he can take face-offs. He's, you know, he can play the power play. You can match him up in certain situations and be responsible with the puck. So, um, you know, there's no doubt that, that, you know, that it's an emphasis of ours. Like we want to make sure, and we've talked to what to you garden, you know, and, and the feedback's been really positive, you know, like he is hockey strong and for his weight, you know, they're, they're happy with, you know, what he's pushing weight wise, they think he's really strong in the gym too, you know, so because he's, you know, call it light right now, for lack of a better word, like, we don't think that really that matters at the end of the day. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio, but we come back, we'll continue to talk about the Buffalo Sabres prospects right after this short break. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat stats video editing tools visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information instat the institute of statistics the junior prospect hockey league is western canada's newest elite developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level the jphl features professional coaches and skill development coaches along with comprehensive practice game and academic schedule allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs to learn more and see why the jphl is the ideal choice for your student athlete and family visit juniorprospectshockeyleague.com You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Uh, we have Adam Maron, the Director of Player Development for the Buffalo Sabres, just chatting about some prospects in the system. Uh, next on our list is Yuri Kulich. Now, I, I'm intrigued to get your thoughts on Yuri in particular, anytime you guys bring in a younger player who's under 20 into the American Hockey League, um, you know, after 20, this is my 23rd year of covering prospects, watching a lot of American League. There's a part of me that sort of cringes a little bit when teams do that. And I know they know the player better than I do. It's just that, you know, as well as anybody, the American League can be a bit of a meat grinder, particularly for the younger players. Now, I think in Yuri Kulich's um situation because he's played pro in Europe I think his ability to adapt is less of a shock to the system if it was a kid that came out of like 
the CHL or out of college hockey from that respect. So thoughts on how he's translated his game from Europe into the American Hockey League and how he's handled that. Well, it's I mean, you, you bring up a great point about the fact that that he's played pro hockey and and, you know, a couple of our younger players over there that that aren't quite 20 yet in Rochester that have played pro pro hockey. You know, it that does matter, I think. And, you know, we look back a year before that and you have a J.J. Paterka who was an 0-2, um, you know, but he came over and he played hockey, uh, pro hockey in Germany and, you know, had a lot of a success in the American Hockey League, Jack Quinn as well. So, you know, I think that that builds confidence that, you know, if we have the right person and, you know, we're in the right system with the right coach and, you know, the right support staff, then, you know, it can work. And, you know, it, Yuri's a, a great example. JJ is too. Like they're, they're thriving, um, you know, and, and, you know, Yuri loves hockey. He's played pro hockey. He's an exciting player. And um, you saw at the world junior, you know, championships, like this guy's got a, the ability to score goals and that's exciting. Um, but what I like even more about his game is that, you know, there's more to it and more that can come. You know, that like any young player, there's there's areas that, you know, we focus on and we want to work on. And Seth Apper has done a, a very good job. He's, you know, he's uh, got a history with, you know, developing younger players at, at the development program, the USA development program. And, you know, so does Donnie Granato for that matter. And, you know, so they understand like the growing pain, so to speak. But, you know, in terms of potential, like with Yuri and the how well he has adapted to the American Hockey League, um, you know, we're really excited about that. Adam, you bring up J.J. Paterka, so I'll contrast a little bit. I loved him in his draft season, and I like Kulik a, a lot too. Um, there was one thing that was really interesting about Kulik. I watched a ton of him when he was playing with Chechia, and then obviously he was phenomenal to U18s. Uh, but there was one aspect of his game. You mentioned the shooting, um, but the playmaking. So uh, I usually don't track, but for him I tracked because there was one thing I noticed about him was that he attempted the, the least amount of low to high danger passes off of the rush or off of the cycle out of any of the top players. Legitimately, I watch a whole lot of them, okay? I, I sweep internationally. So we're talking 70, 80 that I tried to figure this out with. My question for you is, has that continued or have you seen more of a, a, a dual threat game developing? Have you seen him? He's not, he's not a terrible playmaker, but the low to high danger, the, the willingness to risk a higher danger pass, depending on where he is. Are you starting to see more of that? Or do you feel that it doesn't really need to be a primary component because he's so gifted at shooting off the rush and he has that element of tenacity to get net front and get to rebounds? How, how do you look at it with his playmaking? I just think that he's he manages the puck really well. You know, I think that that's one thing that, you know, when you look at, like you talk about a dangerous player, a dangerous pass, like for sure. I mean, having players that can do everything and and score and shoot and, and make plays is is ideal. But when I look at Yuri's game, what I like to see is the fact that he is a dangerous, a dangerous player on the rush, you know, both as a transporter, as a shooter, but, you know, as a as a playmaker, too, off the rush. And then but he does have a down low game. He's strong on pucks. He gets his his nose around the net. You know, he can hang on to pucks really well, like below the tops of the circles. And, you know, in my experience, if you're able to kind of provide offense from both areas, you know, and then also like he's fairly lethal on the power play, like you got a, you know, an exciting package and somebody that can score goals in the NHL. So. Thoughts, do you think for him in terms of playmaking, particularly because he plays off the rush a lot, is the give and go will be his bread and butter? particularly at a pro game when you have very little time to make high level plays is that that gives him, if he gives him that extra space 
to be able to, you know, dissect what's happening in front of him. If he gives that give and go pass and he gets it back, you know, maybe 20 or 30 feet down the ice, like that may make him far more effective as a player than having to like maybe hold the puck or, you know, drag and make plays and look around just like he's straight line speed is his advantage, not only just in skating, but in, you know, using that in a, in a playmaking style. Yeah. And like, when I think about that given go aspect or, or the way that Yuri plays the game, he has a direct style, you know, and it's like, he gets it and it's like attack, you know, it's, it's fairly linear, um, you know, and, and a give and go sort of, concept would be more of that you know more of like a linear attack you know he's not weaving up the ice and cutting back and uh, um you know slipping through a bunch of traffic and players like he gets it he's on the go and he's attacking he's putting you on your heels he's putting d on their heels uh you know that's what i see like a threatening attacking direct player and you know just what i do like you know when you talk about this guy you know potentially bringing offense to the next level is like he can score from distance, which is really difficult to do. You know, finding players that can score from distance at the NHL level, like there's not a whole lot of them. And, you know, he's got that potential, but again, he's not limited to that alone. He gets himself around the net and the net front, you know, those are the most sort of repeatable, predictable areas and goals that, that, you know, you can look forward to and say like, we can trust him. That'll come again next year. So it's just like I said, he's he's got a lot of potential to be a goal scorer. And I think there's so many layers that are left to be uncovered. Like he's fast. You guys said that, you know, using that on the track, using that, you know, on the four check, like understanding that the the more he wants to get that, that puck back, the more he's going to have it, the more offensive opportunities he's going to have. And Seth's been doing a great job down there, sort of like working on those type of details in his game. That's what I find it interesting in terms of because if you're you can score from distance, the defense has to gap up tighter to you, which opens up time and space for your line mate. So if you use a give and go, then they have to rec- like counter correct. And then you're, yeah. and he's gone, then he's gone. Why? Yeah. Right. Like you, you're loading by the time hole. you pivot, yeah. he's, he's past you. Right. So that's where I'm really interested to see how that sort of develops in his game. Uh, next player we should ask you about before we have to let you go is Isaac Rosen and another player played pro came to Rochester, young kid, you know, we got to see him play at the World Juniors as well. And I am I always try to watch the, the rookies in the American League. And they're in 20-game increments. What happened in the first 20? Is it like getting thrown into the deep end of the pool with an anchor and they're paddling like mad to stay, like to figure things out and then see how they settle through those 20-game increments? What have you seen, th- you know, through the first 30 games or so from, from Isaac in the American League and then what you saw at the World Juniors? Well, so, I mean – this is a player that we've been pleasantly surprised with, you know, we weren't quite sure, you know, how he was going to adapt um, just because he didn't play a whole lot of hockey last year. And, you know, he had an injury late in the season that sort of put him on the shelf for the remainder of it. And, you know, he's averaging somewhere around six, seven, eight minutes in Lexham when he was with the SHL team. And even the year before that through COVID, like there wasn't a lot of hockey there. So, you know, my personal opinion and like, you know, I've discussed this like with our group as well as like, there, we could just be scratching the surface with what this guy can is capable of. Um, he's long. He's a really smooth, fluid skater. Can really shoot the puck. He's got great hands. Very good hockey sense. You know, needs to you know get stronger. Needs to add mass. Needs to get inside more. But overall, like there's ot- offensive potential here, and that's what I see. Um, and the fact that he hasn't played a lot of hockey, you know, I think that's exciting. 
Um, so he came into rookie camp and, you know, until you're there, until you've sort of quote unquote taken that test, you don't really know. You can project, you can predict, but, um, you know, we're, we're, we're all really happy with what we saw at rookie camp and what we've seen so far, um, you know, in Rochester to start the season. He's playing a lot, you know, so is Yuri. They're getting, you know, 15, 16, 17 minutes. They're both on the power play. You know, they're, they're being exposed to a lot of different situations and there's a lot of trust from Seth and a lot of development put into those players, like all of our younger players there to, you know, to expose them, to play them, to help them get better. So, you know, he's good. I'm sure like he'd talk to anybody that wants to play offense. He'd he wish he had more goals than he does right now, but you know, we're really happy with him. Do you feel the next stage for him will be to add that harder skill element so that he can get uh, more involved in the heavy traffic areas? As you mentioned, the, he's a little bit of a, a perimeter player at this time. And the other aspect is, do you feel that if he can add that hard skill, it can really theoretically allow him to be more of a line driver because he does have some of those instincts? Remember, specifically in Lexington, like his driving ability through neutral zones, specifically, really high end. Like no Austin qualities, exceptional at the at deceiving that first layer and getting getting the puck in. So where are you with his overall development from that perspective? Yeah, I think you know being stronger on pucks, taking pucks harder to the net, you know, working to get inside and finding strategies and and solutions to getting inside both with and without the puck. That's definitely an area that you know when I worked with him last year, we would talk about, um, and then also this year, you know, when our group's down in Rochester and for sure Seth and, and his staff, Michael Pekka, um, working with the forwards, you know, they're talking to him about too, but absolutely. And like, you know, when you watch him, you know, and you see him on the power play and you see him on the flank and he can one time the puck, you know, and you notice the shot and the speed, but you know, as you watch his game more, like he's extremely smart. He plays with his head up. He hardly looks down at it. He sees the ice. He has a no panic, you know, approach to it. It's not like there's I don't want to say he's not urgent, but he is calm in possession and he sees things and he sees second options, layers, and, you know, can really distribute the puck as well. So, you know, talk about a guy that can make plays, but also finish. I, I think he falls into that category and you just want him to, to continue to learn. And he's adapting to the North American game, how to handle traffic and how to you know embrace that and get to the areas that eventually he's going to need to get to, to, you know, repeat offense. So. Adam, how much is that is based on the environment he played in in Sweden? Like when I've been over there to watch games, uh, it's you know it's a little bit more perimeter, obviously, than the North American game. So when you have a player who's played in that situation his whole life, it's so habitual that you're breaking a habit, right? Because his instinct to think, like you don't want him to think, but that's his, that's the first thing he's going to do is be more perimeter. It's almost like you're trying to re like program him into okay this is north america so things are a little bit different so it's sort of like you're almost you're you know cracking into the computer program and hacking in there and putting a different uh you know a different code in there it is like you know and i would liken that to you know in a way playing fast as well you know it's more of like a regroup bring it back come up together come slowly it's not like you know a get it attack put it to space beat a player win a race attack the net you know, they want to, they want to reload, regroup. And, you know, it's a different style of game. And, you know, when, when you talk about the bigger sheet and it's just the way that it's played over there, I think it's just a natural sort of um, path of least resistance for all these players. Like there's ice out there. I'm getting pressure. I can skate over here and not feel pressure. Like, and our team can still possess the puck. I remember the very first time I went over to um, Sweden to watch a game and it was Victor Olsson was a prospect. He was playing in Fralunda, and 
the game went by and it was nine minutes and there hadn't been a shot on goal yet. And I remember texting like our guys. I'm like, I can't believe this. It's nine minutes in and there isn't a shot on goal yet. Like, I, I can't believe what's going on here. Just the style of play and how different it is. So for sure, you know, all these players that are you know coming over to North American hockey and we talk to them about that all the time. It's like, it's a different style. It's a different game. And, you know, you will adapt because you're a smart player. And that's where, you know, that hockey intelligence, I think, is such an important part of it. Adam, I want to thank you very much for coming on this show. We really appreciate it. Uh, safe travels out there, and hopefully we get to see you at the rink. Great. I really appreciate it. Thanks, guys, for having me. Um, you know, Best of luck here in the second half, and anytime, uh, we'd love to do it again. So That's Adam Mayer, the Director of Player Development for the Buffalo Sabres. Brad and I are going to take a short break. We'll be back right after this. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat stats video editing tools visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information instat the institute of statistics the junior prospect hockey league is western canada's newest elite developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level the jphl features professional coaches and skill development coaches along with comprehensive practice game and academic schedule allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs to learn more and see why the jphl is the ideal choice for your student athlete and family visit juniorprospectshockeyleague.com Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by the Power Player, hockey player development software at thepowerplayer.com. We're now speaking with Dr. Kevin Willis as we continue to review the last chapter of his book, Hockey Grit, Grind, and Mind, and we're into Chapter 7. Uh, the topic this week is, well, in the chapter, it's passion to stay, and the topic is optimism and enthusiasm. You know, and Dr. Willis, that sounds easy, but to maintain that over time with any subject matter, like what tools do you have, do you bring to a client to help them, you know, just to, not just to, to think about it, but it's like tools to like, so it becomes habitual that you change the way you think about your passion. And if you're doing something for hours on a day, week after week, month after month, year after year, how do you like, even with your defeats and your mistakes, like, what do you, what do you teach to people to keep up, be, to be optimistic, enthusiastic about the process that you're under? Yeah. Well, I, I think that we start with awareness, right? Cause sometimes you can go into something and you're, you're pissed off and you're negative and, you know, you, you hate the world. And, and, and so everything is stupid. Everything sucks. You know, your teammates are idiots, your coach is a jerk. Um, and it's just an awareness, right? So if you were to catch yourself in that moment and say, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a second, you know, I, I am definitely in a funk. What's going on here? Now we have an opportunity to do something about it, right? Because when I start working with people, we always talk about 
what you think, what you feel, how you act, right? So if you are in a funk and you're, you're having one of those days, then it's awareness, right? It's what, am I, what am I thinking that might be causing me to feel this way, which is resulting in how I'm acting, you know, kicking the dirt and being a jerk or being silent in the room or, or whatever. Um, it's awareness. It's, it's awareness about sort of how you're coming off because now if, I, if I'm aware, I have an opportunity to do something about it. Um, you mentioned optimism and enthusiasm. You know, optimism is a funny one because uh, a lot of people will say, it's, you know, it's just about thinking positive, right? Think positive, think positive, always think positive. Well, you know what? I, I don't necessarily think, you know, if we're always thinking positive, then that's, that's where I want you to go. I, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying put a, put a rosy spin on everything because you know what? There are times when things suck. There are times when I just don't feel like it. There are times when, you know, I don't love it. That's, that's all right. That, that's real. That's, that's life, right? You're, you're, we call those people humans. And, it, and you mentioned it. it. It happens in all areas, not just hockey, but, you know, studies and, and getting along with friends or family or, you know, there are times when I'm just not feeling uh, very optimistic or very positive, but it's awareness. Um, so the difference between, in my opinion, positive thinking and optimism is positive thinking is ignoring the negative, right? Optimism is being aware of, of the positive and the negative, but making a choice to just lean more into the, 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 the possibilities, the, the positive possibilities that could potentially come from this. Because when you, when you approach anything, I can come into it as, you know, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be amazing. Or I can come into it going, um, this is going to suck. This is going to be horrible, right? Um, and do you think that that attitude, that vision going in to anything is going to have an effect on the outcome? Well, absolutely. A hundred percent, it will. Um, again, it's what we think, it's how we feel, and it's how we behave. It's that triad that, that controls so much of, of, you know, sort of how we come off in, in anything, let alone hockey. Kevin, you mentioned in the optimism portion of your book that there's two components. Can you go into more detail about the explanations component and how that relates? Yeah. So when, when I think about sort of that side of it, that optimism versus the, the, um, the sort of being pessimistic, it's, it's coming into what, we, what I call expectations. And that is sort of how I'm looking towards the future. And explanations is sort of how I judge the past, right? So I'm always in that mode. We're always either thinking about what I've got to do or what's coming up or what I just did and how it went, right? So there are, there are a lot of folks that will take a look at, you know, sort of why are you in such a funk? What's going on? Well, this happened, that happened, this happened, that happened. And, and the way they're sort of explaining that to themselves, that whole history, the past, right? is got them in a funk. It's got them in a negative mood. Well, we can't change anything, right, about the past. It is what it is. So if we were to say, you know, if we put a as positive a spin on that exclam exclamation of what it is, what happened, um, then we can, it won't carry the weight um, as we move forward. Same thing with expectations. You know, you go into a situation, think this is going to be incredible. This is going to be awesome. And, um, oops, sorry, guys. Let me turn that off. 
Um, we come into a situation, we think this is going to be awesome. So our expectations are positive. It, it may not, it may not be awesome, but we're going to go into it with this sort of more optimistic mindset. We, we have the, the ability to increase the odds that it will come out better. It will work out better. Because if I go into it with a really sour attitude, like this is going to be horrible, we're, we're going to get crushed or, you know, the coach is going to skate us to death today. Um, we're already coming in at a low energy uh, and it's, it's going to prove itself to be, you know, a fact very quickly. Well, Kevin, is that a, a matter of your perception of the situation? Because you can have nervous energy or you can have excited energy and they're the same stimuli. It's just how you perceive the energy that like what's going on in your body. Is that a part of it as well? Uh, Yeah. And that comes back to what Brad was just saying about how, how am I sort of explaining this feeling that I'm having that I'm nervous. I'm going to hurl. This is, this is going to be terrible. Right. Or I'm so excited. I can't wait to hit the ice. This is going to be brilliant. And you're exactly right. It's, it's the exact same feeling inside our hearts beating fast our stomach's rumbling a little bit. We feel a little bit jittery and antsy, but if I, if I, you know, over and over and over uh, treat that, that, that feeling as excitement and anticipation for something, you know, exciting, getting ready to happen, then I can use that. But if I, at the same token, if I constantly associate that feeling with dread and something horrible is going to happen, then we're basically training, you know, our bodies and our minds to every time that feeling occurs to associate it with either positive or negative, but with awareness, we can choose what to tag it onto. Right. And I think that's, that's part of it. That's what I was saying. It's, it's, it's ex, uh, expectations is what we think are going to happen moving forward. Explanation is what the way that we sort of explain what happened in the past and, and that does set our mood in the present. And, you know, and that's, and that just makes it a fascinating conversation in terms of, you know, your own personal self-awareness and how you dictate your own habits by what you think and what you're feeling. And then what you decide that it's going to be like, I right. think some people forget the fact that, Hey, you get to decide you, you get to choose what that is. It's not like, oh, it's automatically, oh, it's bad. So it's automatically negative and I'm in a bad mood. Why? Right. You don't have to. Yeah. I mean, you get to choose. That's that's the cool thing is, hey, it's called, it's, you know, free will. You get to choose this. Yeah. It's not preordained, right, in your brain. You get to map that out and, and change those habits and pathways yourself. So I find that um, incredibly fascinating from a human development standpoint. But we're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio and we'll be right back. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat stats video editing tools visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information instat the institute of statistics 
The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Power Player, hockey player development software at thepowerplayer.com. We're speaking with Dr. Kevin Willis. We are just finishing up reviewing his book, Hockey Grit, Grind in Mind. We're in the last part of Chapter 7, Passion to Stay. This subtopic is gratitude and maintain your love for the game. So, Dr. Willis, when you're sitting with your clients you know, as you continue to like, cause this is something that has to be a habit for them, like some tools so that that gratitude I think is really important. I find personally is when I have gratitude to other people, when people have, you know, shown effort or, you know, have done something for me, mostly for me personally is whether succeed or fail. I like, I let, I feel gratitude when people make an effort. Like, you know, they actually really like bared down and made an effort to me that yeah. that personally matters. So, but everybody has different levels of different things that they thought that they identify with as gratitude. So uh, when you're speaking with your clients, how, like, what are the tools that you help them through in those discussions? So they understand, okay, what's important to you in terms of gratitude. Now let's find ways for you to not only express that, but for other people to express that to you. Yeah. I, I think hockey is such an amazing, any sport, but hockey is such an amazing sport in that it, it takes a level of skill um, just to be decent. Right. You know, there are so many sports where you had to walk or run. Right. So we could jump out onto a field and we could begin to participate, but because we have to step on, you know, step on ice uh, with thin giant, thin blades and then have to, to, you know, interact with others and avoid and all that. Hockey is a is a, an amazing game if you can play it. And I think sometimes we forget um, how far we've come and how good we've gotten. Um, and so just taking a moment to stop and say, you know what, this is incredible what I can do. This is incredible the opportunities that I've been given uh, to compete. Um, there's there's research, and I won't go into the 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 you know the brain numbing side of it but there's research that says that when we take time to just be thankful and grateful for the things that that we've been afforded these opportunities and these skills and everything like that there are areas in the brain that actually uh wire to promote more of that and increase that sort of sense of excitement and optimism and and that positive mindset 
So just the act of, of being grateful, the physical act of saying, you know, I'm thankful today for this team, this coach that I have a chance to skate for, my ability to, to get better, you know, day after day, week after week. You know, I, I appreciate that. Um, you're, you're wiring your brain for more of it. And then that, that in turn um, translates into optimism, enthusiasm, and sort of these things that we were talking about. Because we talked about, you know, energy in a previous episode and how you can come into a situation with negative energy and it sort of saps the energy, not only from you, but from everybody that you're around, you know, have a coach throw a nutty on the bench and it can sort of bring the whole team down. But on the other side of that, have somebody who's excited and upbeat and positive and, and really cheering everybody on that can just, you know, put a whole bunch of energy into others. And so obviously if you've got a situation where I can add energy to a situation or, or pull energy from it, that, the ability to add energy um, to a circumstance is going to in- improve the outcome. And, and you know, as a teammate, you, you've got to you've got to use everything that you can. Okay, well, I'll, I'll never forget the uh, the quote Brian Burke gave when he was a GM, saying, "If you are not charitable, you're never playing for my team." And you know, it goes back to what you said about gratuity. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about with gratuity was how uh, research shows that. Uh, by being gratuitous, it can actually increase uh, your grit, your grit factor and your confidence. It, it changes our outlook, right? It changes our, our outlook on circumstance. And again, it comes, sort of comes back to awareness, right? Because every, every moment in time, we are, we are present right here. But our minds are either sort of hanging out in the past or considering the future. But this idea of being... Um, grateful for opportunities that you had and all that, it just increases the expectations and it increases sort of that positive energy moving forward. And, you know, I I said it before, we we become what we think about, you know, we're moving in the directions of our dominant thoughts. And so just being thankful and grateful for all these opportunities that we've had, you're increasing, you know, sort of that positive energy moving forward. And, and that translates into improved performance, you know, increased passion. Um, at the end of the day, this, is, this can be a really hard sport. And, it, and, the, and the higher you go and, and, the, and the more opportunities afforded to you, um, it, it, it can chew you up and spit you out. I, I say that in the book. And, and I don't you know, wish that on anybody, but it can. Something that you love so much can really, really mess with you. And so you've got to have this ability to sort of maintain that love, that love for the game, that love for the effort. It doesn't mean you have to like everything. It doesn't have to mean that you love every situation that you're in, but you can appreciate the opportunity that you're given. And then as you get through that, you know, there's this spark that happens. Think about any time you've ever accomplished something that was really, really hard. Think about how you feel. It's like energizing. Um, and again, you know, the, I, I don't teach kids how to skate and stick and or, or pass and shoot and stick handle and all that kind of stuff. But I can tell you that your attitude, uh, your mindset affects all of those things. And so when Pat comes in and talks about very specific skills, you know, if you want to add um, sort of a layer, a boost, a layer of icing, whatever you want to call it, to all of that effort, uh, it, it all starts with the brain. It all starts with the brain. You know, and that's to me is the fascinating reason why why we brought you on to talk about this throughout this year on the show is because how critically 
critical component is about, hey, everything starts with that big lump of mush between your ears, everything. So it doesn't matter how much you train is if you're not training your brain for what for the habits you need to succeed in whatever part in hockey industry you're in, it's just an absolute critical component. I I think honestly, for me, I think it's most important to start there first, because if you can you can waste years upon years of trying to train and not have, not get spin your wheels and not get where you need to be. And for me, uh, Dr. Wells, I think it's been like a fat, it's been a fascinating, you know, last, you know, four or five months to have you on the show and have you explain how that all this comes together in all these different sub subject matters, because it's just something that I wasn't uh, clearly aware of in, in a lot of cases. Yeah. Well, it's been good. And, and again, I appreciate the opportunity to share. If you got somebody who's been working their whole life, you know, on the physical side of the game, but have never touched that mental aspect, then they were literally half trained. Think about that. They're half trained all that time, all that energy. And you left, you know, half of that training basically up to chance. And, and, and what a, you know, I, I just, I just don't know why anybody would do that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Dr. Willis, thank you very much for once again coming on our show uh, and for all, the entire year. We really appreciate it, and we look forward to speaking to, to you again in the fall. Awesome. I look forward to it, guys. Well, that was Dr. Kevin Willis, uh, author of Hockey Grit, Grind in Mind. This has been another episode of Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio, powered by Instat Hockey offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. You can listen to our show on your favorite podcast network or on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter at HP Radio and HockeyProspectRadio.com. Thank you to all our guests. I'm Shane Malloy, and for Brad Allen from HockeyProspect.com, we will see you at the rink. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat stats video editing tools visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information instat the institute of statistics the junior prospect hockey league is western canada's newest elite developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level the jphl features professional coaches and skill development coaches along with comprehensive practice game and academic schedule allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs to learn more and see why the jphl is the ideal choice for your student athlete and family visit juniorprospectshockeyleague.com Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca.